0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with
1: Viator. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter is finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you—
2: Okay, now we're making another tape, January twenty-third in the great year nineteen seventy-seven, Sophia. And what we're here to do is we're going to let Sophia Coppola, who is standing here, who? How old are you, Sophia? Five. You're five years old. Mhm. And, and Sophia's going to talk a little bit. Now, Sophia, you know who I want you to talk to? I want you to talk to a make-believe person. Can you?
3: Who's the make-believe person? Her name
2: is Sophia. And she's a big lady now, she's a grown-up lady. And so you talk to the grown-up lady, you talk to you when you're, when you're a big lady, okay? Okay. Go
0: ahead. Hello. Francis Ford Coppola, recording his daughter, Sophia Coppola, in 1977.
3: I'm a little fishy, you know, and I swim in the water, and I have two brothers that are fishes. One is named Jim, one is named Roman, and my name is Sophia. And um, my my cousins are fishies too. And one of my cousins are named Nikki, and one is named Christopher, and one is named Mark, and one is named Matthew, and there's another Matthew in our family. So,
2: what do you think you're going to be like when you're a big girl?
3: Well, I can make believe what I want to be like.
2: Tell me what you want to be like.
3: Well, I want. Bye, you
2: guys. One second, we'll wait for mommy. Say hello. This is. uh, According for Posterity, uh, Sophia is telling herself grown up what she wants to be like.
4: Oh, terrific. Well, I want to hear that tape when you're finished. That's great. Well, you're terrific. At five and a half, you're super, superwoman. I am Sophia, and
3: when I grow up, I want to be middle-sized, not fat and not skinny. And I want to be a teacher. Or oh, maybe I might be a nurse. And um, I like being Sophia because there's a lot of fun things that I know how to do. And my daddy just tickled me with his little nose.
2: <laughs> I want to tell Sophia something. When yeah. you are uh, recently, when we were making Apocalypse Now, we were in the Philippines, right? Right. And Sophia learned how to do some things. And I want Stop you to do say. something for me. So first, I want you to sing the Philippine national anthem. Go.
3: Paayamagilu, bunsinamalam, alam na sa sa di mo'y buhay, lupangilira, ina naman magiti sa mantulubig, di Today, my daddy gave me an Oscar necklace.
2: Then were you happy when I gave it to you? Mhm. Are you going to try not to lose it so when you're a big yeah. big girl you can keep it? Okay. And this Oscar is for. Let's see what it says. It says for the Godfather, 1972. So that must have been for the script of the Godfather. Okay. You want to say goodbye to yourself and you'll say and you'll talk some more awesome other well, time. Okay. Say, Say goodbye, Sophia. I'll talk to you again some other time.
3: Goodbye. I'm going to go to bed now, because I'm too so sleepy.
0: Today, Lost and Found Sound. Home recordings, people recording their friends, neighbors, strangers, for a look at how we live and who we are by listening closely. Lost and Found Sound is the work of two women in California, Nikki Silva, and Davia Nelson, also known as the Kitchen Sisters. No one makes radio like the Kitchen Sisters. As Tom Waits put it, lost and found sound is beyond description. Davia Nelson once said, There's something about sound, just in the atmosphere, the intangibility of it, and the imagination of it, the long stuff, and stuff that lets you travel in your mind. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love.
5: Oral history is what first brought the Kitchen Sisters together.
0: Here's Nikki Silva.
5: We've spent our first few years working together, roaming our region interviewing ranchers and fishermen and rodeo riders, beauty pageant contestants, surfers, Italian grandmothers. The first time Davia and I headed out to do an oral history together, it was a disaster. We kept dropping the mic, fumbling with the 20-foot cord. I have no idea why we thought we needed a 20-foot cord. It was painful. So oral history, it's still the way we work, interviewing people for hours and hours. And we're always on the hunt for oral histories that other people have done, others possessed by the need to capture history and life through sound. That brings us to Eddie McCoy of Oxford, North Carolina, a tobacco town of some 10,000 people located 50 miles north of Raleigh. Eddie began recording the life and lore of his town on a scavenged cassette recorder. A self-made historian, Eddie records the who, what, when, where, and why, and so much more of his hometown. Today's story produced with Lita Hartman, A Man Tapes His Town, The Unrelenting Oral Histories of Eddie McCoy. Let
6: me ask you a question. Why did it? Why did Oxford grow? What happened there over there? You know, why did they? Why did people come to Oxford? I, you know, I want to know about what took place. I'm curious. Why? why did they? Grow? I'm nosy. What happened there over there? That's what oral history in interviews is. So you got your mind got to go to work. You got you know what you want, but you got to figure out how to get it. <laughs> you ask one thing, they come out with another thing. You got to come back with another thing. A little surprises. It's fascinating what they'll tell you. You don't ever know what's going to hit you. A lady told me, said, I know a man that's 110 and that ride a bicycle. I said, go talk to him. And I said, okay. I am Eddie McCoy this morning. I'm out in Mr. Harris. Mr. Harris. Mm-hmm. I'm out in Mr. Harris. What's your first name, Mr. Harris? Matt Harris. I'm out in Mr. Matt Harris. Mr. Matt Harris, how old are you? 110 years old. 110 years old. Do you know what what year, what month you was born in? I'm James Adam McCoy. I've been messing with this stuff ever since 1979. I've interviewed over 140 people. I've got over 100, about 150 tapes. What I want you to tell me this morning is, tell me about the history of your life, and we're gonna talk about the history of Oxford and what you remember oh. and the changes. And tell me if we can start with you uh, and your brother and uh, your father.
2: I uh, hope put the first concrete in
6: us. You put the first concrete. concrete in Oxford. Where was this at? I said I
2: put the first
6: concrete in Oxford. The first concrete. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was born um, so you know in Grandma County, there? Oxford, April the first, nineteen forty-two. Oxford was a, a quiet community. wasn't anything exciting here. Just train come by twice a day. Practically everybody lived in shotgun houses. No paint on them a dirt yard, got old rugs on the floor, linoleums. You can pull up the linoleum and got cracks in the floors. You can feed the chickens and punch food through the floor. It's hot as the devil in the summertime and cold as the devil in the wintertime. Today, Mrs. Davis and I will be talking about this era she was raised up in. I was born in Granville County right over the year of 1906. We got life in this area.
1: 1947.
6: Uh, okay, because in Oxford on another side it was 1950. Yeah, we got 1947. George Patterson, all of us on this room, good life. Let me ask you, what happened when you got the washing machine? No. Lord, that was the best time. Tell me that.
7: My name is David Saselski. I'm a historian at the Southern Oral History Program at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And that's how I stumbled onto Eddie McCoy's work.
6: What about coin shuckers and stuff like that? Oh, no,
7: that was a good time. He's interviewed the janitors and the African American teachers and the railroad workers and the tenant farmers and sharecroppers, the black physicians, just anybody and everybody.
6: Oh, everybody come here and come around, and Mama would cook their best food and never see so much food. Now, I want you to explain to young people that will be listening to your work.
7: Here at the Southern Oral History Program, we have, I think, the largest collection in the South. It's incredibly diverse, done by hundreds of interviewers. But Eddie's is distinctive in a way that I've never seen before. And in my eyes, it had to do with kind of who Eddie is and what he brings to it.
6: When well, you're a schoolteacher, tell me why we can't do it now. You've been
5: around.
6: I just don't know. I was in a wreck. I messed up all my muscles and nerves and my back and neck. And I couldn't do anything. And um, I lost a lot of my business and everything. Janitorial business. 35 people working for me. I couldn't take that. Could you imagine that? I've been doing that all my life. I went, to a doctor referred me to a psychiatrist, and he asked me, what could I do? And I told him, I couldn't do nothing. He said, can you use your head? I said, no, I can't use my head. What if I use my head? I never use my head. I always use my hands. What you do part-time? You ever done anything, use your head? I said, I mess around with books, I mess around with research, I done stuff like that, bummed around with it. He said, why don't you do it? I started going to the library, I joined a genealogy class, and started working from there. May the first, nineteen ninety-five.
4: June.
6: I'm James Adam McCoy. Time is six o'clock. A visit with Mrs. Lucy Jones, five twenty Hancock Street. What year was you born?
8: Nineteen fifteen, June fourteen. I ain't never been but once in my life.
9: Oh yeah. One time. That's good. I hurt nobody's feeling. If I can't help you, I don't hurt. You. Me too. <laughs> I love people.
8: Did you know there's a lot of white people in town that will mistreat you and don't mean it. Did you know?
6: Uh-uh. And don't mean it?
8: Yeah.
6: What? They have to do it to stay white. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got something like yeah. See? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. When I started messing with research, yeah. I thought you had to have a master's degree, a doctor's degree, a finished college. I did. I came up in the street. If you come up in the street, you learn all walks of people, how they tick.
7: Eddie served in the army. He learned how to fight. He hung out at the uh, Soul Food Cafe, which was the, that was kind of the hangout for the civil rights movement in Oxford. This is not the background that most of the historians out there listening to the forgotten voices of the South have.
6: It's like fortune teller. Listen to stories that people tell you what they did. That's all fortune teller is. It's putting together. It's kind of using skills. It's
7: reading people.
6: Okay. What's your yeah. name? Tell me your name first. My name is Novella. Now my daddy, he was a baby. He said his daddy went and cut his hand because he didn't want to be sold. Where? Cut his hand off, keep him being sold. That was that was slavery time, I'm telling you. And he didn't die. No. They stopped to the bleed. He was sold. His daddy was sold.
7: When Eddie McCoy calls, people sold. know exactly who they're talking to. And they're gonna to talk to Eddie like they won't talk to anybody else. They also know what he did in the civil rights movement. They've at least heard tell of it.
8: Fresh memories to me. You
7: is one of us. Did you know it?
8: <laughs> <laughs> you is one of us.
6: Yeah, I've been around this time for a long time.
7: <laughs> Eddie was a leader in the civil rights movement in Oxford. And and I'm not talking about just nice peaceful marches down through the streets of Oxford. I mean he did those things too in sit ins. It was a, a very violent civil rights movement that they had in Oxford. A lot of Klan, a lot of white terrorism. The African-American people in Oxford did not just sit down and, and take that.
6: When well, the community roused up and they start burning the town down. It was tough right here for about two or three months. I don't care what nobody said. You got to have violence. Martin Luther King was fine. I wouldn't have followed him nowhere. Anything threatening your livelihood, you're going to react. You got to show them. They're from Missouri. That's the way you get their attention. In the civil rights movement, you got to hit them.
7: Eddie came through all that, he becomes a successful businessman, city councilor, first African American elected to the county commission in Granville County. Eddie got some college, but by and large, he's really a completely self-trained historian.
6: You know how to call Brown's corner. No, where's Brown Corner is?
2: One of the oldest buildings in town, all I can tell you. He's called the police how to call Brown's Corner.
6: Was well, that where all the blacks used to hang out at that's and talk? Right, right. Brown's Corner. Right. And that's where everybody used to stand. That's right. And people still stand there now. Yeah, all right, and the whale well was right in the center of the street. That's, that's right. where the horse whale well was. Right. Oh, y'all had a good time on that corner, didn't you? Yeah. All these books I've been through the library and done research on the whole county. All the churches in the county, I went through and tried to pick, get all the books, all these boxes. Here is research out of county government buildings, city city buildings and all that. This box here... This contained. Everybody went to jail from about 1953 up to 1960. I wish I could get the book before that. Everybody went downtown to jail. I, a... I tried to look for my parents' families um, before I got into this. But I would go to Virginia, go down to Morris County, North Carolina, and look around, look around, look around. And I just couldn't ever get anywhere. My father was an orphanage boy here in town. My mother was adopted, and she don't know anything about her family. She was hauling around with different people. People in my genealogy class said that's why I um, got so interested in researchers because I couldn't do anything with my family. I wanted to probe and uh, I um, started doing it with other people. And I didn't pick families. I do the history of Granville County. So that gave me an avenue into everybody's family. Mrs. Harris, what was the farm and plantation you and you, you was born on? Cheetah. Tom Cheetah. Tom Cheetah. Uh-huh. How old are you, Miss Harris? I am 89 years old. Eighty-nine? Eighty-nine. I don't tell you about my age because there's none of our business. Oh, I won't reveal it's it, all right, all right then. I was born 18 and 92. The women had those white babies. They could not help themselves because the master made them do it. But you don't have to put that down there. When the black women had the babies for the white men. Yeah, don't you put that down there. I, I, I won't know. Uh, uh, That's not fair to me. Black yes, women. it is. It's
7: fair to me. I don't Imagine Oxford and Granville County as a place where it's poor. It's a lot of small communities that, that are withering away. The young people, particularly young African American people, can't stay. They're moving off to cities. And here, um, Eddie McCoy, who's lived in town all his life, is coming and cares about what they lived through, cares enough to sit down and, and visit.
2: I said think, I said, now what is I'm doing to live the long and average man? What have I did to do that?
6: If you collect your information now and your resources now and put it away in 50 or 30 years, somebody gonna come back and want this stuff. And then that's what to be gave. Collect your stuff now. That's what happened with, with slavery. We waited too late to get the best part of it.
2: Now, where are you taking all this mess for?
6: we having fun talking about the old days, yeah, you and right. I. That isn't true. I hadn't thought of it like that. Raining, we ain't got nothing else to do but sit around don't and talk about what... We world lost world our history. World. They that's want to world. talk world. about the future. I How world. can you go to the future without the past? That's why I want to do it. Don't wait too late. Everything seems like a dream to me. Mm-hmm. It's been so long. Uh-huh. Did you always go to church?
10: Don, what do I do now, <laughs>
4: um, Patti Smith and Judy Lynn. Well, I'm Judy Lynn. I'm a photographer. I've just published this book, Photographs of Patti Smith, 1969 to 1976. Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. Patty and I met because we were both in Brooklyn. We met through our boyfriends, Peter Barnowski and Robert Maplethorpe. We went to Patty and Robert's apartment. Patty was in the kitchen cooking spaghetti sauce, and she didn't really talk to us. And Robert showed us drawings he had done. He'd been at Coney Island that day, and he'd taken off this kind of huge piece of skin from his sunburn. He was going to use it in a drawing. We were all admiring this huge piece of skin that he'd peeled off.
10: Is it okay if I take my shoes and socks off? It'll be real neat. Then I can show you the ankle brace that I got on that says Brian Jones, and I always wear it.
4: I found a cassette Patty and I made in 1969. We were making an 8mm movie in my tenement apartment in Brooklyn, and unfortunately, I lost the movie, but I did somehow save this she made. All right, what do you
10: want me to do? Look at me. Turn around and go back and look at the wall again. Oh, okay. Are these clothes okay? Well, I mean, do you, do you want me to put anything special on or ugly on?
4: I graduated from art school in 1969, and the idea of getting out of school had never dawned on me, so I was completely lost. I'm getting used to the camera. Yeah. You really study with it. I began photographing Patti Smith... Because I was taking photographs of everything. And when Patty and I would get together, we would take photographs.
11: Lay across my big brails, baby.
4: I remember the first time we heard Bob Dylan sing Lay, Lady, Lay on the radio, we held hands and screamed.
7: Lay, lady, lady. And I had
4: never done that before with anybody. Brails, Somehow with Patty, baby, you could be that enthusiastic and silly about something. Okay, um, like the reason like my foot's moving like that is because Mick Jagger's on. <laughs>
10: My name is Patti Smith, and I was born December 30th in Chicago, Illinois. And um, I was born 6.04 in the morning. Um, people like I hold tribute to, I was like um, Sonia Henney. I used to like the I still like. I still like Sag Harbor woman. Most of all, I like their own stones. I'm
4: sorry Brian Jones died. Um, is it okay to come down? These were photographs in my apartment on Myrtle Avenue. Patty kind of did the set decoration. On the wall are Patty's shoe and sock, a saw, her scarf.
10: Doesn't my shoe and sock look neat hanging up
4: there? She's wearing black underpants, a flesh-colored brazier, some string wrapped around her ankle and a string wrapped around her wrist. I really felt like I was shooting for fashion magazines, but I never would have had the guts to show them to anyone.
10: I put the radio on again. I lay down like
4: a over water One of the first times I went to Patty's apartment, she had these little kind of pink acrobat pants, and she put on the pants, and we were taking pictures, and she took her shirt off. It wasn't a big deal. I really think she kind of knew what a more interesting photograph was than I did. The picture on page seven is of Patty's knees in black tights. Just thought she had such great looking knees. The photographs with Sam Shepard came about because Patty called me up and she said, "I want you to come take pictures of Sam and me." I think it was a really important relationship, and I think she knew it wasn't going to last. It was really a kind of a fleeting moment. He was barefoot, we walked from 23rd Street down to Greenwich Village. She would lie down on the street, he would pick her up. I mean they were so enraptured with each other. I just don't know what to do tonight. My head is aching.
10: I like this because like um, we both like appreciate minimal movement. Let's step on this because my feet are getting cold. What? Feet are getting cold.
4: I like the picture of Patty putting the eyeliner on. It's like she's sticking a pencil in her eye, and I like the idea of, like, drawing with your eye. It's kind of being looked at and seeing at the same time.
10: Beautiful! You know, that's like, I didn't zoom in on it, you know?
4: These were photographs for the Radio Ethiopia album cover. She had convinced the young Getty heir to buy her this walkie-talkie, and she said she needed it to be on the record cover. I think we were trying to do kind of a film noir, you know, like the police are outside, the guy in the raincoat in the rain is out there watching you, hanging out under the streetlight. We both really enjoyed movies. One time we went to see Jacques Rivette's la religieuse, with Anna Karina as a nun. And we acted out the movie in the bathroom, in the movie theater. I mean, we didn't even get home to do it.
10: You know you what know, like, I don't like about the new filmmakers? It's like they love like total chaos. Like the, the, the neatest section of the whole film was when like this guy, Jean-Paul Le Luc, or something like that, Jean-Claude, had to look real bored while I was like taking off my blouse. I did it really angular, you know? It was, like, so beautiful, and the guy forgot to put the film in the camera. You know, it was just lost.
4: I think that We Could Do This was really about being kids and playing dress-up and playing, oh, look, I can be a princess, oh, look, I can be a Godard heroine. And by taking a photograph and isolating things, it could look like it was more than it actually was. We weren't really dreaming a future, we were dreaming a present.
10: Want to try one color? Yeah. All these films will be like a story. <laughs> I'd Love to be a rock and roll star. The huh? genius to be a rock and roll star. I wonder what's happening with the tape recorder. <laughs> Are you recording
4: stuff?
10: Yeah, I'm recording everything. Listening in a river,
4: watching it rise.
0: Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Hiring someone new can sometimes feel like finding a missing puzzle piece. The right person can complete a team, but the search can take a long time. And sometimes it feels entirely up to chance. Indeed is designed to help you find that perfect match much easier and much faster. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. That means the more you use it, the better it gets, you also don't need to worry about the busy work of hiring. Indeed will help you with scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash thisislove. Just go to indeed.com slash thisislove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash love. Terms and conditions apply. Need to
1: hire? You need Indeed. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter is finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you, and their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. We have
0: one more piece of lost and found sound from the Kitchen Sisters to share with you. French manicure. Tales from Vietnamese shops in America.
8: The hand, the foot,
5: elegant.
11: Good morning, sweetie. This is a freshman class. Okay, that's the beginning of the school. I have to explain everybody how to use your tools. Uh, what is the, the chemicals, and the creams, and the acetone, and I can explain the whole thing at this time. My name is Maria Elena Alvarado. We are in Hilltop Beauty School in Daly City at the top of the hill. Welcome to the World of the Cosmetology, honey. You like cold, darling, please. Your page is 419. Who can define what the mean the word is manicure? Latin word, you're right, it's a manus and cure, the care of the hands and nails. The majority here is an immigrant, the majority. A lot of Vietnamese is in the school. They take a class for the, yes, for manicure. The Vietnamese, they have a, something in your hands. Don't tell me why. Every time they touch your hands, you can feel. It's something special in her hands
10: nhà chỗ ở
8: the home cảm giác. the feeling âm tan. the sound I left Vietnam in 1972. I listened to the radio when I was in high school. I was still in Vietnam at that time. I lost a U.S. troop during the Vietnam War. I really loved the song, you know, played by uh, Grant Campbell, Wichita Limons And uh, all the songs from G.B.G. from Beatles, Rolling Stone. I love. When I was young, I heard a song, you know, California Dream. I thought, wow, San Francisco, everybody wearing their flower in their hair. I make my wish. When I grow up, I like to come to the United States. I like to live in San Francisco. See, I can get flower on my hair. That's the California Dreaming, the song. But when I come here in 1979, oh, it is hard. I have no relative, just like a couple friends, they help me. I'm not able to be speaking very, very well. So every day when I'm driving, I put a tape in my radio, so I'm listening. Fancy Nails in Berkeley. Oh, Lisa. This is me, Lisa, the owner of the Fancy nail. Yeah, okay, so I will see you at 1.30. Thank you, bye-bye. When you come to the country here, the easy way to be getting, get a job, is going to the nail salon. That's why the population from Vietnam, they all do nail business. See, like for example, boy, he's a car mechanic. When he immigrant to here, and then he don't know what did he do. And then he go to a beauty school to learn how to do manicure because that's only required for three months in school. So he changed his career totally from a car mechanic to holding a woman's hand. And he's good. All oh my girl, they still, you know, speaking their language most of the time. But I'm very fortunate that all my clients here, they understand they really don't mind when the girl not speaking English. To polish.
5: To shine. To pay cash.
9: You want a manicure, pedicure? Okay.
4: Well, Hi, how are you? How are you? What do you need done today? I'm
9: feeling a pedicure. Oh, he only like French? Yeah. Oh. Like French is you paint the white color mm-hmm. on the tips and then you yeah. polish the pink over. That's what they call the French, you know. I don't know where they come up with that yeah. name. Yeah,
8: I think the French manicure it created in LA before I come to the business. Okay, can I ask my help? In France, they don't do French manicure. They, like they don't. Manicure. Even I have a client from France. I asked her, Do you know French manicure? Is it from your country? They have no idea. They don't know.
7: Many of our nail art techniques are connected to Vietnam. It's a highly pampering art, and it's, it's a very demanding discipline. My name is Lynette Mano. I teach at Hilltop Beauty School. Many of the best artists that we have in this area are connected to Vietnam. They're training because their mother has a salon, their sister has a salon, their aunt or their uncle, and it's been something that's just family-operated. and People recruit into it as they become old enough. It's something that's promoted in those Vietnamese communities.
11: The
5: voyage. The boat.
12: Con Gai. The daughter. I went to school for Medicare. I worked in this shop almost four years. I came here in 1983, just by myself, about 14, I escaped it, by boat, to Thailand, to uh, Philippines, and then came here. Supposed to be a whole family come together, but we separated to small boats, but some make it, some didn't make it, get caught by the commuters. We separated. And I was wondering, I asked, where's my mom? Where's my mom? The omnis said, she will be here, she will be here. Gone. Two days and two nights on the ocean. Nothing's in my stomach. A lot of people die on the ocean. The first month when I come here, I was in the general hospital. Sick, like homesick. Strange. Unhappy. By myself. Don't know where to go, don't know what to do. Like a dream, just like a story. Like you cannot imagine, you cannot think about it, but it happened.
3: I've thrown away my
12: toys. I live with a foster parent. I have my own room and the TV, she let me have it. Usually I watch a lot of Shirley Temple. I like Shirley Temple a lot. I watch a lot of her movie. She's happy, she's dancing top with, you know, a black guy, and she's a very pretty lady. The way she act when she was a little girl, a lot of her movie I'm watching, she's very famous, yes.
3: On the gold trip, lollipop, it's a sweet
12: trip. When I become U.S. citizen, I chance directly to Shirley win. My Vietnamese name, is difficult to pronounce. Hang, H-A-N-G. So I changed to uh, surely My life is changed. I should change my name, too, because I live in the United States.
7: In your guide to United States citizenship is the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution. Please read at your leisure these two documents in order to gain a greater understanding of how the United States became as great as it is today. Now please repeat after me the Star Spangled Banner. Oh say, can you see?
9: My name is uh, Lang Thuong and I am student in Beauty College, Evergreen. What
12: so proudly we (laughs) (laughs) hailed
9: Point Vietnamese song usually uh, have a sad story. A song uh, for a long time ago have a lot of meaning. When somebody singing, you listen, you feel too. You gotta to have a story inside a song <cười> Our country have a lot of people separated and say bye bye and goodbye forever. You know, so we know exactly how about somebody feeling. I moved in America. And, um, I and my two children and my mom. I still one daughter. 15 years in Vietnam, and I really don't want to leave my daughter. Every time I see a and my feeling come up. But now I change because uh, I have a good life with my husband. He's American. And my husband, he's supposed to come to America. Uh, we got paper already. He take care of me very good, and he do love me, and he really want me to go to school, and he help me have a license. I don't want success on anymore. Lòng mẹ bao la như
7: Long Mè. It's a song that I think really strikes to the heart of all Vietnamese. The opening line is mother's love is as wide as the Pacific Ocean. It was very popular in South Vietnam. Here it's sung by a singer named Thanh Thuy who now lives in um, San Fernando Valley. I'm Jason Gibbs, librarian at the San Francisco Public Library.
5: My name is Adelaida Reyes. I have written a book about music of the Vietnamese refugee experience. After the fall of Saigon in 1975, there were rules about what songs may or may not be sung. And many of the songs that were forbidden were precisely the sad songs and the love songs. These songs contain a lot of historical, personal truths. Over the 100 years that they had been at war, there is hardly a family that has
7: not suffered the loss of a member. Thousands of Vietnamese left the country to to live in countries all over the world, and they bring this music with them. It holds together their memory of a time and a place that they still long for, a time and a place that can never come back.
9: Take the ribbon from my hair Take it loose and lay fall lay some mud and your skin Like the saddle on the wall Come and lay down by my side Till the early morning light All I'm taking is your time Help me make it to the night
8: the happiness
7: da red
8: the Buddha that we keep in the shop is for uh, lucky Buddha bringing business and come in the outer you know we have a Buddha inside it's keep the
9: shop in a uh, peaceful safety you know every day we'll give him uh, new water sometime coffee candies, any kind, and we change it every day. And once a while we uh, give him a cigarette. So sometimes we line up the cigarette and give it to him. So we want to make sure he's happy. The second day of the month, we
8: give a Buddha, you know, like uh, more fruit on the lunar, uh, because that is a once a month a special day, like the payday. <laughs> because Buddha bring us so much business, we give Buddha chicken, or duck, or roast pork, barbecue, bun, but enough, we eat the food. (laughs) Buddha enjoy it.
12: My name is Janet Dang. I work for Asian Week newspaper. Hard numbers aren't available, but according to Nails Magazine, they peg the manicure market at $6.5 billion a year. And Half of the market is comprised of the Vietnamese-American salon owners, technicians, or manicurists.
9: What do you need, Jane?
12: This job, I like it. like to communicate with people, but just temporarily right now. I'm allergic to the chemical polish remover. I'm studying
8: uh, MA Medical Assistant right now. My name is Helen. I don't have experience to work in the office. Uh, you know, with my age, nobody hired me, because um, now I am 55 years already. At least I must have uh, one uh, professional job. And, uh, so. Um, um, I hear in the United States, you know, the nail is easy for the people, you know.
0: It's sore. Be careful. Okay. So they're a mess.
12: Sometimes the
8: client is very, very fussy. So no I, that, that they give you the, hard time. Their nail in a so bad so condition. So bad. Sometimes you even don't want to give the service. You will feel very stressed. I don't want to be touched. You pick up their attitude. I mean, their, their bad mood, give it to you. Even you get
13: the job done, but it's a lousy. They're American. They really care for their nails. Always 12 months, it's 12 holidays, you know. Mother Day, Father Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, you know. Valentine Day, birthday, July 4, whatever. Just big time, party, party, updo, manicure, pedicure money time. My name is Nhung Tran, and uh, I live in San Jose. I'm from Vietnam with my whole family. Saigon is our city. I grew up on there. It's very busy. People, you know, do the business on the street, selling a little stuff, flour, ice cream, and noodle. They just say out loud what they sell, and people can negotiate, you know, just like the flea market. Everything happens on the street. All the door wide open. Over here different, every door closed. People just live by themselves, you know. It's so quiet over here. At first it's really hard, but I adapt with the environment now. I used to work at IBM before, but I got laid off, so here I am. I study cosmetology. I work so hard and I play very hard too. Go to the club every weekend and singing karaoke with friends. Have a good time. My boyfriend is a good uh, singer. He can play the guitar very well. He's um, our personator. He's Spanish. He's good. His name is Jesse Nava. I love you, baby. In Vietnamese club, they play both Vietnamese and American. I really like French music. But the music I like the most is rock and roll.
7: Can you speak slowly?
10: Good
9: afternoon, everybody. I'm MC for the group of i students A today.
7: Right now, there's about 18 manicure students. Today, we're going to graduate seven or eight of them. Uh, They're 99% Vietnamese. We're at the Hayward Nail Care Center. My name is Alan Cox. I'm the director of the school. My father started this business in 1958. At that time, manicuring was not a trendy thing like it is now. Here, here's what it used to be. When we had a few manicurists, it was Madge and Jane, you know, the, the blondes. Madge and Jane are pretty much gone. These students go everywhere. They go to Chicago, they go to Detroit, they go to down south, they go to Texas, they go, they go everywhere to these communities. because A lot of these students are brand new to America. And all of a sudden, ten weeks, and they can they can get a license, and they can be in the job market.
9: And now uh, we have a special guest. Welcome, Mrs. New. Congratulations to the student, and um, I uh, would like they will become uh, the good manicurist uh, in the future. Thank you. <laughs> I hope in the future I have a little business in American, manicuring over here, face over here, and pedicure over here. But I hope one day if you have time to come to see my family, and I will sing for you a good song and happy song, you know. We have a lot of fun. We sit down together, we play music, we sing. We are very happiness. Come and sit by my side, darling. Do not help them to beat me as you. So remember the Red River Valley. And the cowboy who love you so too. And the cowboy who love you so too. And
4: the cowboy who love you so too.
0: The Kitchen Sisters are Nikki Silva and Davia Nelson. They produce the stories we heard today, along with Laura Folger, Nathan Dalton, Brandi Howell, Lita Hartman, and Jay Allison. Audio mix by Jim McKee. You can hear more of their work on their podcast. Search for The Kitchen Sisters Present in your podcast app. And we've also got a link in the show notes. This is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our producer. Engineering by Russ Henry. Audio mix by Johnny Vince Evans, Michael Raphael, and Rob Byers of Final Final V2. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best podcasts around. Follow us online or on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook at This Is Love Show. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is love.
4: Radiotopia.
1: We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.
5: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it.